Hello and welcome to Raising Our Voices. We are very excited this month to bring you another Voice at the Table episode. VAT Chat is a SARU initiative providing practical information to ensure people with a cognitive disability have a real and equal voice on boards, committees and advisory groups, creating a world where we all participate. We're gathering together today in this special place to continue our learning journey together. We acknowledge the Woiwurrung and Bunurung people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land and waters of the place where we're recording this podcast and that sovereignty has not been ceded. We acknowledge and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging and we also pay respect to any First Peoples who are listening. We remember the self-advocates who work hard, really hard over the years for the right for themselves and for others with a disability to live in the community and to achieve equality and to respect human rights for all. Nothing about us without us. Nothing about us without us. So we're recording this episode of Fat Chat during the COVID-19 lockdown of Victoria and we're using some online tools, um, mainly Zoom. We're doing this remotely. In today's VAT chat, we'll be talking about the entitled role. And to help us do that, we've brought in Eva Sifis. Hi, Eva. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, uh, for people to understand who you are and why we've brought you in, do you mind introducing yourself and and the role you play with that? Sure. My name is Eva Sifis. I am an artist. I am a trainer. I am an advocate. And I sustained a severe brain injury in 1999. Since then, I have worked within disability arts and I'm, I've also become really involved with the advocacy centre uh, sector, sector, especially here in Melbourne. Uh, now, in that, I helped to develop Voice at the Table. We um, uh, we had a part in helping um, create and develop the introductory module uh, with which we 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 train um, sector organisations and governmental organisations around the idea of nothing about us without us. Um, of course, that means. Uh, um, don't make rules and policies about our population if you don't want to um, uh, employ our population in in helping you make those policies and decisions. No, that's very good. So we're, we're talking about role today, which is quite a difficult one for us, for most people to get their heads around, because it's not just a title. It is It, it encompasses a whole bunch of things. And one of those things is actually uh, working out the language. And as a, it's it's hard to say whether it's disabled person or person with a disability or a deaf and disabled artist. Yeah. And yeah. there's very there's a few ways of saying it out there. Personally, I tend to go with disabled person, mm. um, but I'd prefer to get rid of the word disabled. But that's a per- personal preference. 
Yeah, I understand that completely, especially because I, like you, acquired my disability. So I straddled the I straddled the worlds. I had a I had a life before I had a disability. Now I have a life after I have a disability. Uh, before and then after. Uh, of course, it's taken me a really, really long time to get to the point where I now accept my disabled um, persona. And in that, I just want to speak about ways that we speak about disability. I know it, it used to be people, person with a disability. However, now there has been a shift in thinking and increasingly people in Australia are are waking up to the social model of disability. Now, the social model of disability came out of the UK in, um, I can't remember, 1970s or something like that. The social model of disability basically posits or basically says that we are not disabled by a body, but we are disabled by society and the built environs around us. So therefore, I call myself proudly, I am a disabled woman because yes, my body and my brain don't, don't disable me but it's the expectations of society that disables me. Spot on, I think. That's absolutely spot on. You will hear about the social model of disability throughout, not just these podcasts, but in, in any sort of disability field, whether it's you know, in government or outside the government. It's very important. It's taking it out of the hospitals and putting it into people's hands, basically. Where it belongs. It doesn't belong in doctor's hands, it belongs with us. We're the ones that have to live with it. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that we do talk about amongst ourselves generally is whether it's a cognitive impairment or a cognitive disability and and what are, what's a, the most comfortable way of saying that? Mm. I mean, I find it very difficult at times to say cognitively disabled. Mm. Um, I tend to go with impairment personally um, because I don't feel that I am disabled it's you know and that comes back to the the social model really doesn't it it's, absolutely yeah uh, I think the thinking behind cognitive impairment and why perhaps you wouldn't choose it is because impaired is a negative has a negative view on it if something's mm. impaired it means it's wrong it it means it means it's not working properly if somebody has a cognitive impairment that's just the way they were born. There's nothing wrong with them. That's the person that came forth from Mother Nature. There's nothing wrong with them. Your, your cognition just works in a, in a way differently to other people. There's nothing wrong about it. So I think cognitive disability is a lot more empowering. And, and again, we're, going, we're talking about disability from the view of the social model, which actually says that, that we are disabled by a society that we aren't, aren't disabled by a body. So it, therefore, there is nothing wrong with this at all, apart from the way the society works. You're listening to That Chat. Self-advocates. A self-advocate is a person who voices what something is like from their perspective. As someone who consumes a product or service, they're also called a consumer representative. Self-advocates are sometimes chosen to be a representative this might be for a consultation where an organisation asks for self-advocate what they think about of a service or an idea. For example, the local council asking what someone thinks about accessibility in the street. When someone is chosen to be a representative, it is their chance to say what they think about something 
from their own perspective to give them all a chance to say it. Self-advocates also call out changes that need to be made to things in society and to make life accessible for them and for others. It is raising issues in a public space to point out injustices. Self-advocacy is really important. Moving right along with our little podcast here, we're, we're talking about role and how important that is. A lot of it is to do with knowing how important it is for the self-advocate to know what the purpose of a meeting is. I mean, mm. what does the organisation do? Where is the meeting? What is the meeting for? Where does the information go afterwards? I mean, that's really important. And what is the information going to change or create? Yeah, this is a very, very important part of hiring a self-advocate or being a self-advocate. You do need to know where the, what the organisation does. You need to know the background of what the meeting is that you're going to. You need to be informed as to what topics they'll be talking about. You need to be informed as to the purpose of the meeting, the motivation for the meeting, what the aim of the meeting is. All these things you, you need to know as a self-advocate because there's no point in turning up to a place if you don't even know where the place is. How can you turn up to the place if you don't even know where the place is? And how do you even know if you can get in the building? If you're somebody who's in a wheelchair and there's stairs to go in the building, you need to be told ahead of time how you can access the building. So things like this are really, really important to know before you go to the meeting. Um, also, another thing to think of as, as a self-advocate with a cognitive disability if you're talking about a self-advocate that has a cognitive disability, you'll need to ask them if they need forms sent out to them in easy English. Because for many of the for many people with a cognitive disability, regular council talk is completely inaccessible. They cannot they cannot um, they cannot understand it. They can't they can't read it and understand what they're talking about. So they'll need to have forms sent to them in easy English. And if you want to find out about more about Easy English, then talk with SARU or the Self-Advocacy Resource Unit and they'll be able to educate you with um, Easy English. So you need to know what the meeting's for so that you can do some thinking about your experience of the topic that the meeting is for. You'll also need to know where the information goes. Like, is it going to be publicly accessible? Is it just going to go to... Heads of government, is it going to go to heads of the local council? Who knows? It's your right to know where your information is going to. And you also need to know how your information is going to help the process. What is going to happen with your, what is going to happen? Um, uh, how, how is your input to the meeting going to eventuate? I'm using big words again. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting that last one. I've been to a few of those sort of consultations and that that are put on by governments and and organisations, and you know we we give our opinions about things. Um, one I can remember quite distinctly was a website, um, which was absolutely horrid. It was uh, anyone with you know. Uh, any sort of brain injury or just couldn't navigate that site. It was just terrible. And this was a government site. Yeah. So they talked to us about it. 
no idea whether it's been implemented, any of those ideas we gave them. We'd, there was no follow-up, so we have no idea. Yeah. So I think it was one of their first times of doing this sort of thing. So okay. they weren't sure. The, you know, the, the, the process wasn't totally there. Yeah, voice at the table hadn't reached the the lofty heights that it now that it now that it now <laughs> inhabits, <Yeah. laughs> and and so therefore 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 um, uh, policies are being are being made with with um, uh, considering our needs yeah. and our access. It's also important that a self advocate knows how many meetings are they're expected to go to. Absolutely, you know this. Uh, various types of um, groups and committees and consultations that you go to. But, you know, if you're going to do a regular one, you need to know how many meetings are, there are each year, how long those meetings go for, how, how many of those meetings are you expected to attend, and, and making sure that, you know, I have all the dates for the meetings prior. Mm. It makes it a lot easier, especially for someone like me who absolutely relies on his diary. Yeah. I can't do it. If it's not in my diary, I don't go. I just don't know it's there. Yeah, I can absolutely relate. You're on 3CR, raising our voices. This month, we are joined again by the crew of VAT Chat, a peer-led initiative to make sure everyone can participate in meetings and places where decisions are made. Participants share top tips for participating in meetings and staying involved. Fatigue is also an issue for, for people like ourselves, Eva, mm. and meetings going too long or without breaks make it very difficult for us to, to stay involved within the meeting. Yep. Um, fatigue is something that over the years has minimised for me but I still I still get affected by it. And the way the way that fatigue manifests for me is that if a meeting goes too long or if a meeting goes too long without a break, a meeting can go for hours as long as there are regular breaks in between. And when I'm talking about a break, I'm talking about enough time to go get a cup of tea, enough time to sit down on the floor and just do a couple of deep breaths, enough time to remove yourself from 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 the frame of thought that you were in in the meeting and enough time to, to step out of that and step out of that and come back to yourself. Ground yourself in a way, you know. I'm not I'm not getting all heebie jeebie on you, but just just ground yourself. Get yourself away from get yourself away from whatever the meeting is. Get yourself away from that from that room and get yourself into a place where you can centre yourself and come back to yourself. That's what fatigue that's how fatigue manifested for me. I need I need regular breaks. Um, yeah. It's me, but it's also a majority of people with brain injury I know have this problem. In 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 different magnitudes, some people have lots of fatigue, some people have little fatigue. But fatigue is something that happens, I think, because our entire brains have had to be rewired. So our brains get tired with trying to find new circuits for. To, to connect different thoughts or different different functions of the body, I don't know. That's not that's not a medical medical um, medical idea at all. That's just my personal thing. So, yeah. oh, I think it's it's partly medical. I mean, you basically just 
driving the aftermath of neuroplasticity. Yeah. Where the where the brain basically rewires itself so it can mm-hmm. it can work again. But it takes yeah. a lot of energy out of us to do that. So fatigue they, really does occur. Yeah. yeah, but it also makes us think of people as well. Mm. Nothing about us without us. One of the main things that they do in meetings are comment on particular issues. Mm. And if we don't know well in advance, we can't give you a fully informed comment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really important for me to be known, to be told well ahead, well ahead what the points are that we will be covering in the meeting. And if that if if I am if I'm supplied with the points that that that, that we're going to be talking about, I can take those points and I can go away and sit down and I can think about those points and I can prepare prepare answers to those points well ahead of time and I can write them down so that so that so so that so so it is there already for me when I when I'm in the meeting and I won't be required to remember it because I would have written it down yet again. Here we go. So yep. If you could see my if you could see my my book right now, you would see my mouth scratches, and yes, you will see that I do this all the time. <laughs> With being a self advocate, it's also very very handy to know about where the meeting is, but how to get there, and are the car parks available? Are the car parks themselves disabled car spaces? Is there an accessible train nearby? Is there what are the physical features of the venue and the area surrounding it? I mean, if if it's a nighttime meeting, is it safe for the self-advocate to take themselves from the meeting venue to the train station or the tram stop? And, you know, is the car park well lit and things like that? I think they're all very important things. And also, if it is an online meeting, you know, how, how do you how do you join the meeting? How, how does all, all that work? You know, so that sort of information needs to be provided well in advance and followed up with, so people like understand that you know the self advocate understands what's going on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's... You're a self advocate, and you've been asked to come to a meeting. First of all, it's vital that you get to the meeting. So in order to get to the meeting, there are a number of things that have to be considered. Like if, if, if you're a self-advocate who, like myself, uses public transport, you need to know well ahead of time how long it takes you to get from the place, from, from, from the stop to the venue and you need to know you need to know the direction to go to. You also need to know how you're going to get to that stop. Are you going to have to use a train? Are you going to have to use a tram? Are you going to have to use a bus? Are you going to have to use a combination of these three things? All these things need to be planned. All these things need to be part of the planning for the self-advocate to get to a meeting. So they have to plan, um, they have to use their app to find out how they're going to get to the meeting. Then when they get to the stop, they need to be able to walk to the meeting. And um, then walk or, or roll if they're, on a, if they're in a wheelchair. And then if they get to a meeting, they need to know that the, that the building's going to be accessible. 
also in these new days we are we are we are um we are struck with um the possibility that a meeting might actually happen online like all these are happening like this is happening with us like, like this is happening right now um but for example i'll i'll use a meeting uh for an award that i help um that i help organize and a number of times, one of the meeting participants was not able to be there. So we set up the laptop on, on, at a place on the, on the table and we opened it up and her face was there on screen as though she was sitting at the table with the rest of us. However, she wasn't, she was, she was streaming in from somewhere else. So on that point, it's important that the person, that the self-advocate knows how to get onto that platform. They might, they might need to be educated well beforehand on the steps they need to take to, 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 to become a virtual participant of the meeting. All these things are really, really important for, for a self-advocate. Does a self-advocate really need to know about an organ, organisation's policies? Or is it, you know, just something they can give their feedback on regardless? And, you know, do organize, all organisations have policies around confidentiality and discrimination and, mm. and, and all complaints? I mean, these are, we, we would expect so. And, you know, so how would a self-advocate go about making a complaint if they don't know the policy? Yeah. So on this point, it's really, really important that the self-advocate is given documentation about these policies, about confidentiality policies, about discrimination policies, and most importantly, about com complaints or feedback, if you want to, if you, if you will. And also, most importantly, these documents need to be in easy English. I said that before, I'll say it again, easy English is vital. And it's vital for everyone. It's not just for people who might have intellectual, inter intellectual um, disabilities. It's also easy English helps everyone. You're listening to That Chat. So this is a quite important question and mm -hmm. one every self-advocate should ask as soon as they get invited to a meeting or a consultation, am I going to get paid? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can I say it even louder. Absolutely. God damn it. You, you have no idea how much work I've done over the past um, 20 years where I haven't been paid. And why? Because I have a disability and people with disabilities are not seen as being worthy of payment in the society before, but things are changing now. Things are changing now. We are worth being paid. We are worth being paid for our experience. We are worth being paid for our lived knowledge. And this is our knowledge that we have gained over our entire lifetime as somebody with a disability. And for God's sake, our, our opinion and our um, input should be recognised monetarily. It's extremely important. And it's only been over the past few years that I've actually started getting paid properly. And it's bloody exciting, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be exciting. We are experts and we need to be paid accordingly, as I said before. And also, when you are paying a self-advocate, you need to consider the fact that they may be on a pension. And if they're on a pension, they will need to be able to, um, they will need to be able to tell 
the Centrelink, how much they got paid. And so on that point, maybe the, maybe the best way to pay the self-advocate would be via a gift card or a shopping voucher. But it is important to communicate with the self-advocate and see how they want to be paid because they have a right to know, they have a right to have input into how they're going to get paid. You know, some sometimes being paid with a with a shopping voucher is emasculating. It makes them feel that they don't have worth. Maybe they want it, maybe they do want to be paid in, in 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 cold, hard cash. And if that's the deal, let it let let it be so. And also another thing is that I know about through my work at Voice at the Table, it makes it always makes sure that people are paid at thirty dollars plus an hour, which is the industry rate and we are deserving of it again well it's not even deserving as specialists with, yes. with specialist knowledge and experiences that you know you would expect to be paid that as a minimum absolutely Absolute minimum yeah we've been to the university of life man and we've got doctorates in it <laughs> so we've we've gone through all the stuff and we're all ready we've turned up at the meeting we've got got there safely and we're at the meeting the chair needs to really take control of a meeting and provide space and by space I mean allowing time for the self-advocate to take in what is being said to them and said in the meeting and also you know space for them to answer and work out their comment in and you know trying to to get that out of some self-advocates takes a little bit of time so you just need that little bit of space yeah you need a little bit of space but you also need to be furnished with the questions beforehand so that you've had you've had an amount of time beforehand to think about what you're going to be saying because as you as you so kindly pointed out some people with cognitive disabilities find it difficult to get their get their words out of their head and then out of their mouth it's been it's quite quite a maze of circuitry happening in the brain there, and um, sometimes it takes time to get the words from there out of your mouth. What are some of the examples of supports that self advocates might need? Mm. Yeah, this is a good question because support needs are different for every person. So I think it's really important, well ahead of the meeting, to call the to call the self advocate and ask them what supports they need. They may need a support worker in order for them, in order to take notes for the meeting, in order for them to have moral support, in order for them to 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 be able to go to the toilet. All these things a support worker can help them do. Also, another support they might need is that um, to get the agenda given to them well ahead of time. And in order, and if they get the agenda given to them a hell of, uh, I mean. Uh, well before time, they can sit and they can think of, 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 of ways they might want to answer the questions or things they might need to help them answer the questions. And yet again, we'll talk about easy English because easy English is necessary for many people who have cognitive disabilities. So after the meeting's been and gone, and we're not talking immediately, we're talking you know, a day, a week later, um, it's a good idea to follow up with a self-advocate and let them know how things have 
progressed. Uh, I think I was talking earlier about how I was involved in one thing and I have no idea what happened with it because there was no feedback back to me. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yet another arm of being valued for your time. It's yet another. It's a yet another um, affirmation of your of your worth and and of your and of your and of the benefit that you have that you have given to this meeting. It's really really important for them to be for self advocates to be informed how their input has affected policies or decisions or or the behaviour even of the council or the behaviour even of the organisation. Or in I mean, my case, I mean, the design of a website. <laughs> yeah, design of the website. Exactly, Warren. Because you were speaking about how you felt when you weren't when you weren't informed. And when you're not informed, that really makes you question your place in that meeting. What was the point of you being there if, if you don't even know how your information was used? Well, I'd just like to say thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and allowing us to interview you about the role of a self-advocate and, and not just in meetings but in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Thanks to Warren, Eva, Anne, Justin and all those who contributed to the VAT Chat podcast. All six episodes will be officially launched in October. You can hear the first two episodes of the podcast by following the links at Voice at the Table Facebook page or the website voiceatthetable.com.au. Tune in next month for more Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Stay safe and look after each other. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.